Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast, Season 3. I'm Rob Shear, the founder of Comfort Cases and your host. Together, we have made such a difference in the world. We've met with leaders and change makers in the foster care system. We've met with charities and philanthropists, celebrities, authors, and so much more. We'll continue to bring you guests who will share how together, as a community, we can bring about change. Welcome once again to Fostering Change. Well, you know, I am so excited for our next guest on Fostering Change. It's hard to believe that we are in season three, and we have had some of the most incredible people that have come on and spoke to us about so many different things. And you know, I say this quite often, you cannot bring change about and until you educate people. Exactly, educate people. You know, my next guest, I actually had, I don't know if she remembers this or not, but we actually have a mutual friend and I actually had met her a while back and through my mutual friend. And then all of a sudden, I knew that I wanted to have her on our podcast. But then lo and behold, I am literally sitting in my office and my phone starts to blow up. And I'm going, what is going on here? And I'm looking and people are tagging me and tagging me and tagging me. And and I add about this beautiful story that this beautiful human decided to tell. See, the fact is, is that each and every one of us have a story and each and every one of us have an opportunity to tell that story. But when you take that opportunity and you truly tell your genuine story, it will bring about change. And that's exactly what my next guest is. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to invite my next guest, my friend, Sherelle Starr. Sherelle, Welcome to Fostering Change. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. I am so excited to be here with you. It is absolutely. So you and I have a a friend. Her name is Emily. I call her the handbag fairy um, because she is the handbag godmother. And, you know, so she's the one who actually connected us from the very beginning. And she still talks to me and she actually, on your post, when you had your interview, she actually tagged me. And so it was so exciting. And I want to take this back before I start talking about how viral that you you have gone. And by the way, I follow the organization that interviewed you. Um, mm-hmm. And I have never seen anything like I saw when they did your interview. But let's jump back real quick. I'd like to, I'd like to talk about, you know, your story. Yeah. Yeah. My, my story. So, um, I mean, what, you know, I, um, a foster care when I was younger, uh, I spent, uh, most of my youth in foster care. So most of my early years in foster care, I had lived with my great grandmother to begin with. And then when she got sick, I went into official foster care. So I was kind of in this tender sort of situation before that. And then I went into foster care. And so I was in six different homes in six different years, um, you know, back to back. And um, it was a really difficult situation and experience. And, um, you know, unlike 
a lot of youth who are in care, uh, I ended up being reunified with my mom. Uh, she had gotten clean. I was uh, recently I was living with my great grandmother, and then went into foster care because, because she was using drugs. So she had gotten clean and sort of gotten her um, life together. But I only ended up living with her for a couple of years before I got a scholarship to go to boarding school. And so I took all sort of that baggage and trauma with me <laughs> as I had gone to boarding school because I hadn't dealt with any of it. Um, I hadn't had therapy. I hadn't really talked to anyone about it. And so that was just something I carried with me, even though I was doing well academically and going to school. Then I went to college and spent four years in Boston. And then I spent a semester abroad in London, um, sort of traveling around and working in a firm there. Then I came back, graduated and started working here again in the States. And so it's been a crazy ride, but all through it, you know, I still had the trauma and the scars of being in care and had this desire to sort of ensure that other youth didn't have to suffer the way I did. And so that's been a big part of my sort of passion and my mission is to really tell my story, share it with others, and sort of make change in foster care wherever I can. You know, I want to I, I want to jump back um, with the fact that okay, so so you, you go and you live with your 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 grandmother. And by the way, for all of our listeners and viewers, you know, we call that kinship. Um, and and the sad part is is kinship is and I, I, people get offended when I say this, it's literally one step down from, from foster care. And this is the reason why is you because- You get none of the support. Exactly, you get no support. Yes. You get no support. Yes. So so yes. here you take a child and you put them with strangers. And by the way, they are strangers and yes. they get a stipend and they get WIC and they get therapy and they get respite and they and then you say okay let's do something better let's keep a child with their their family you know their kin and so we're going to take this child and put them with a grandmother an aunt an uncle a cousin oh but by the way we're not going to give them anything whatsoever to help them so here we're changing their lives you know we're adding an extra plate to the table okay we're adding, you know, so much more because there a child doesn't go and live at a, with kinship if there wasn't already problems behind the scenes. But then you give nothing, literally nothing. How do you? I, why did we make this such huge mistake? I mean, that we'd have to get into a very long conversation about the history of foster care in America. Um, it, it's you know, I, I, I think, um, especially when we talk about kinship care, um, there are a lot of states um, and a lot of cities who are slowly realizing the support systems that um, kinship placements need um, and how valuable they are. Um, one, to uh, limiting the disruption in the youth, in the youth's life themselves. Um, but like how we got to this place is the fact that people who are making the decisions haven't been in these situations. And so, you know, they think they're doing, you know, oh, well, we'll put them with an aunt or we'll put them with a great grandmother. Uh, a great grandmother who probably hasn't worked and has been retired for, you know, 15 years, um, now has an extra mouth to feed, like she's gonna need support systems. Um, and so it's literally just people not being in the situation, not talking to, you know, uh, the foster parents, the kinship parents, and not talking to the foster youth and seeing what their lives are like. They're just sort of putting them there and walking away and assuming things are gonna be better. And that's just not how this works. I, I think people are just too far removed and they need to have these conversations. They, we can actually reveal what the challenges are. 
Oh, I agree with you 100 percent. And, you know, and I'm very one who will say it is an industry that makes money on the backs of children. And that's all it is. It is an industry that makes money on the backs of children. And when you have an industry that is a pipeline from a system to a penitentiary, then you know that the failure is there. And as a father of five children from the system, um, you know, and for me who all just like you grew up in the system, you know, I hear you, I hear you say that you reunified with your mom after all of those years. Was she, was she a constant in the picture as you were living with the grandmother and as you were living with the foster parents? No, no, no. She wasn't a constant. I do remember some visitations with my mom, but they are, you know, here and there. I remember, you know, maybe, you know, Christmas here, but, but nothing constant, nothing consistent. Even in the last home we were in, there were a couple of visitations, but literally no real prep to get me comfortable. And my, my younger sister at this time was also in care too with me um, to get us comfortable to the fact that we were going to go live with her again. So I didn't even know we were going to go live with her until the day they took us out of the home and dropped us off at my mom's house. So there was no, <laughs> there was no prep, there was nothing. Um, and so you have this shock again, because your life has just been, you got to start new schools and like now you're living with this new person you've never lived with before. And, um, and yeah, there was, there was no prep at all. And you wonder why we all have PTSD when we're in foster care. You want, exactly. I mean, that, that you to wonder me why is, kids do such so terribly in school. You wonder, we, this is why, this is, this is why. I mean, it, it's literally, you have no voice. I mean, mm-hmm. to, 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 to know that you've been living with uh, this particular family for how many years that you've been moved around all of these times that you have somebody who's not consistent in your life. And then all of a sudden, one day someone walks into your house and says, Oh, by the way, grab your stuff because you're going to live with your birth mother. You know, to me, it's it's the same thing I said. I'll never forget it when we decided to adopt our children. You know, our children had been floundering in the system for years, just, mm-hmm. you know. And I and I remember going to the social worker and I said, this it just can't happen anymore. I said, it's been mm-hmm. nine months since a right. birth parent has come to say hi. It has been nine months since a birth parent has picked up the phone and say how are you doing? I said, children should not be pawns in the life of those who are trying to be adults. Children should not have to sit on a sideline and watch a game of parents trying to be adults. They need to be children. They need to thrive. They need to. And so we were one of the very first people within our area to actually hire private attorneys and fight for adoption for our four children. And I'll never forget the social worker and the the head of child and family services in our area said, you're making the biggest mistake you've ever made in your life. And I said, what do you mean? (laughs) They said, you're going to lose and they're going to take your kids and you're never going to see them again. And I said, or I can live with my life and think, what if? What if I just would have invested in these beautiful souls? Fortunately, four long years, we actually won. But, you know, I think about, you know, you going all of a sudden to your birth parents. And then you have the, and and I call it grit because I've read your story. I know you. I knew your story before before it it was released. You had grit. And you had grit enough 
to go to a boarding school? How did that happen? So it happened because even when I was moving from home to home, I was really, um, I really leaned into school. I've always loved school. It's where I was challenged. It's where I was appreciated. Um, it's where I felt really special. Um, and so uh, even moving around, I was always based in gifted programs. For, thank God for my teachers, um, who even if I came in in the middle of a school year, you know, after being a week in their class, they would say, you know what, I'm going to move you to this other class, um, you know, and just would do it behind the scenes, like not official, this would move me to the gifted programs. And so I just sort of had this track record of sort of always doing well. And when I got to middle school, I was living with my mom. Uh, the first week of school, uh, a group of teachers rounded up all of the smart kids in class, um, about 10 of us, and they put us on a totally different track. The only class I took with my seventh grade class was homeroom. Everything else was, I took uh, math and science at Columbia. They put us in Kaplan's program so that we could test into a specialized high school. Um, they just put us on a totally different track than everyone else. And I'm pretty certain this was an unofficial program. Like, I think some of our teachers paid for some of these things um, because Kaplan, if you if you know New York City school systems, like these, these courses are a lot of money. And so they just put us on a totally separate track. And so I got into, after eighth grade, um, I tested into Brooklyn Tech with one of the specialized high schools in, uh, in New York. And then I also got the scholarship to go to boarding school. And I got into the ABC program, Better Chance program. Um, but I ended up going to the boarding school because it was worth a ton of money. And it's assumed it was going to be a great school since it was $20,000 a year and on the other side of the country. Um, that's literally how I got in. I always had these like angels uh, for teachers who are always looking out to make sure like, because I was already leaning into school, they just wanted me to keep doing it. And so I'm very, very thankful for that. I really, really am that I had people who were looking out for me, even when I didn't know to voice it myself. Right. And I love the fact that you call them angels, because that's exactly what I say about teachers. You know, teachers are actually angels put here on earth. When I was a senior in high school, I actually, I was homeless my, my senior year. And it was mm -hmm. always the teacher that, that always had seemed to have extra food. And, you know, right. they didn't know what to do with the homeless kid back in the 80s, but they knew that if I had a little bit of extra food, that maybe I, I, it would help. Or maybe I, right. they, you know, sit after class and help me with the, the math work that I just couldn't get because I was so tired because I had not slept anywhere because I didn't have anywhere to sleep. You know, before right. we take a break, I have a question to ask. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to your mom? Yes. Yeah. We, my mom and I have a really good relationship now. She's moved down to Florida. She's doing well. She, she, you know, she's, again, she, once she got clean, she stayed clean and she sort of turned her life around, but it's still a, um, it's not a traditional relationship. It's not a traditional mother daughter relationship. Um, we check in, you know, maybe twice a month. So like a 15 minute phone call. Um, but I've always been very independent, obviously. And so there's sort of no going back to that like child adult relationship that sort of traditional mother-daughter relationship but like she's doing really well and I'm very proud of her it takes a lot to sort of deal with that her own trauma and sort of sort of come out the other side do you feel that where you are today is because of the fact that you were able to forgive I do. I do. I, for a long time, I was very, very angry. Um, I was angry at my mom. I was angry at my dad. I was angry at the world. Like, even though, you know, on the outside, it looked like I was doing really well, but I was, I was carrying around all this anger and um, I had to put it down. I really did. Otherwise, 
I, I wasn't going to get any further. I wasn't going to be able to like get to the things and the places I needed to be. I wasn't going to be able to help other people because it was just weighing me down. And so, so yeah, it, it took a lot. I was very, very angry, um, but I had to forgive. Yeah. See, and, and I, I talk about that quite often. You know, I was like you, I was so mad. I was so angry. I was very destructive. Um, myself because of my anger and it wasn't until I forgave and you know I always remind and my parents are deceased but I always remind them um, that I forgave not to free them you know not I I don't want them to to help it was to free me it was absolutely to free me well listen everybody I am so so excited about this guest I love 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 you know we have been so lucky we've had some incredible people but there is nobody that I feel is more incredible as a guest is someone who lives it you know and as 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 my friend said she made the comment about people making decisions who really don't know what's going on. And um, the fact is we do. So we're gonna take a quick break and get back. And when we get back, um, we're gonna talk about how, you know, just within the last, you know, week and a half, she has gone viral like I had never seen. So again, if you're listening to our podcast on all your podcast platforms, thank you. But also make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel and we will be right back. This episode of Fostering Change is sponsored by Comfort Cases, a national nonprofit that inspires our communities to bring hope and dignity to our youth that are in foster care. For just $10 a month, you can support the Comfort Case mission and help us eliminate trash bags for kids who are entering foster care. For every $10 that you give, Comfort Cases will give a Comfort XL to a child entering the system. Be part of the change. Visit comfortcases.org. So you know what? We are back here for part two of our amazing interview with my friend, Sherelle Starr. You know, if those of you who follow social media, and by the way, I know most of us do, um, that you have seen Humans of New York, whether it was on Instagram or it's on Facebook. And it's something that I have actually been following for many years. And um, as someone who goes to New York quite often, um, I always wonder if I'm going to run into somebody or if I'm going to know somebody. Well, who would have thought? Who would have thought that my friend would actually be somebody that was on Humans in New York? And that's why I was so, as I started this um, podcast today, I talked about all the number of people that kept um, tagging me and they talked about the trash bag. And, you know, and so I have been fortunate enough to know this human. And so it's it's just crazy that now she's on my podcast. Um, So Cheryl, tell me, how did it feel when you woke up, okay, first of all, we're going to get into how you, how they found you and the story they want to tell you. But, but this is something that I always love to ask people because it happened to uh, my family. One night I go to bed and, you know, a thousand people watched a video that was on social media. And the next morning I wake up and I can't even get through the amount of requests for people to follow me or comments or messages. How did it feel? So it, it was a roller coaster ride. Uh, the the full day 
was just um, it was so many emotions. You know, I started out in the morning a little worried. You don't know, like I was aware of the Humans of New York platform. He has 17 million followers. Like that's the biggest platform I've ever told my story on. But I was, I woke up worried that, you know, I, I don't want to deal with trolls. I don't want to deal with negative comments. Like I was like mentally preparing um, for that. And then, you know, the first post hit, I think around 11, and literally, I wasn't prepared for just the kindness and the support and all the encouragement. Like, there wasn't a negative comment to be found at all, just so much support and so much love. And I just wasn't prepared for, like, that overwhelming feeling of being surrounded by, by just love. Um, and so literally every, like, two hours, it would be, like, this rush of like okay is, is it gonna be no it's not negative oh my god there's just so many so many positive comments and and I agree with you um I have so many dms and instant messages and emails that I could never respond to them all there are just so many and so I just tried to do you know I, I am going through and I'm trying to sort through and see you know which ones are coming from foster youth which ones are coming from foster parents so I can try to prioritize those but I could never respond to there there are thousands and thousands of them. Um, I just put a blanket sort of thank you to everyone. I did a couple of those, but like, I, I, I'm, but I am trying to prioritize the ones, especially from foster youth. If I think they might be a foster youth, if they're asking a question, I'm trying to respond either to DM or telling them to email me or in a comment um, because I want to make sure I respond to those first. Yeah, I, I agree with you. About three years ago when our Upworthy video came out and it's like we had over like a hundred million views and my husband and I would sit there and I, and I mean, tears just rolling down my eyes because I was just like the stories that people, all of a sudden it felt like, and, and I know this has happened to you, is that everybody feels like now they can tell you their story. Yeah. Yes. And, there, yes. <laughs> yeah. and, and I will tell you, I doubled my therapy up that week and those weeks it happened because I would tell my therapist, you know, I was like, because it is the weight of on your shoulders and just, I did exactly what you did. And I love to hear you said that I prioritized the kids who were in the system, aging out of the system. And then I prioritized prioritize the foster parents um, because I really wanted them to hear back from us, Um, whether it was just a thank you for sharing your story, um, understand you're not alone, you know, just something like that, because I think so many times people, you know, do not understand and you and I get it. Sometimes we just need a little bit of validation. Yes. A hundred percent. You just need to know you're not the only one going through this or experiencing this or just having this frustration. That's all it is sometimes is to know you're not alone. So I agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing that, that blew my mind when I came out with my story, I actually thought I was the only one. I thought Mm -hmm. I was the, and that's why for so many years, I didn't tell my story because I was Mm -hmm. scared that people would know that I carried a trash bag. And then mm-hmm. I walked up a driveway with a trash bag or that I was homeless with a trash bag. And what right. I found out, and I was angry with my community because I was like, you know, how could you allow this to have happened to me? But now I realize they weren't educated. It's like, know. People. and by the way, yes, I did troll you and stalk you and read your comments because I was so moved by the number of people that had such kindness but I also was so surprised. 
surprised at the number of people who weren't educated about children in our foster care system. Again, this is the largest platform I've been on um, and, and the, the featured and have been able to have the privilege to tell my story. But like this happens in every room I'm in. Like just people just aren't aware of, of what foster care is or how you end up in it and, and what the experience is like. It's not something that's talked about at dinner tables or on television. Um, and when you do see it, it's, it's super negative. It, it's super, you know, that would never happen. Um, and and it's, it's tragic that people don't really understand what's going on in the foster care system. No, you're totally right. You're totally right. You know, um, being in New York and, you know, we're, in, we're an international charity now. Um, so we deal with quite often everything that's going on in all the states, including the United Kingdom. Um, in New York, um, has, has COVID affected the youth that are in foster care? Uh, COVID has had a really negative effect on youth, um, not only in care, but youth who've aged out of care. Um, the court systems were closed for a long time. There still are majority are only re- uh, meeting virtually. Those that are meeting in person don't have the um, PPE or any of the um, correct um, items for protecting themselves. So like in one of the uh, family courts here, they're literally wheeling around a PPE plastic shield from courtroom to courtroom because they don't have them for all the courtrooms. Like think about that. Like there are kids waiting for their cases to be heard to determine whether they're going to go home or whether they're going to stay here. And the court systems are backed up because they don't have PPE still. They don't have the correct equipment in the courtroom. So, so it is it is super uh, like trying and frustrating and terrifying. Uh, the number of foster uh, youth who've gone into care has gone down over a pandemic, which we could all be super excited about. But that also means that calls haven't been made because kids haven't been out of their homes. So youth who would need to be removed from homes, and I know kids are removed at. Um, uh, inordinate numbers, um, you know, but kids that would need to be moved have not been seen. Youth who have aged out and are living on their own, for a long time, they were aging out straight onto the streets. Now, the homeless uh, situation for youth who age out during a normal year, up to 50% end up homeless within 18 months normally. But during pandemic, they were literally aging out and having no place to go because there were no shelters. Um, you know, uh, all the government offices were closed. So you couldn't even get any sort of emergency funding. So it was just a really trying, the youth um, in for City Living, which is a, a nonprofit that, that I volunteer with on the board of, so many of the youth lost their jobs during pandemic. So you think they finally have a, you know, they're, they're good foot in the door and have some stable ground and they lost their jobs. Like how are they supposed to buy food or keep paying rent? So it has been a really, really trying time, not only here in New York, but just all over the country over, for youth who are there, who have aged out of care. It, it, it is just terrible. And, you know, politicians just aren't paying attention, paying attention. Communities weren't paying attention. It's one of the things I was advocating for, especially last year, was getting that mor- moratorium on aging out so that youth weren't going straight into the streets during the pandemic. You're right. It, it's happening everywhere. You know, I I speak to social workers and head of child and family service agencies, and and I get really upset um, because they start pounding their chest saying, "Well, the numbers have gone down." And I I remind them, the numbers have gone down because our children are not in the front line of who really protects them, and that's the yeah, teachers. Yeah. Right. The the report, yeah. People who yeah. have to, by law, report. 
yep. they can't see them. And because yep. they can't see them, they don't know what's wrong. Um, so yeah, so I, I am actually terrified of when we are finally through pandemic, because I'm expecting these numbers to skyrocket. Me too. I really am. Me too. That's yeah. exactly what I say. I, I feel like, first of all, kids who are in foster care, they've been suffering um, the pandemic their whole life that they've been in foster right. care. So, you know, we all woke up in March of 2020 and was like, oh, what's going to happen the next day? Kids in foster care, they have that every single day. You told us in your story. I mean, the fact is, is that one day you're living with a foster parent. The next day they're saying, hey, you're leaving and you're going somewhere. It is everyday children in foster care live. But what we are not preparing for and we're not preparing for it is the wave of children that are going to be coming into the system because we have had our doors shut during the pandemic. And mm -hmm. then what scares me is that the government, and again, sorry, Mr. Bad Government, but you haven't done anything right lately that I've seen. The <laughs> government is going to close their eyes and not take care of all the children that need to be taken care of. And then we're going to even hear more horror stories and more horror stories. I, I agree with you. And one of the frustrating things is um, so my husband and I are in the process of adopting. We first wanted to adopt through foster care. Uh, we live in New Jersey um, and they are turning people away because they don't have enough. Youth. They have more than enough homes is what they're saying for, for youth in New Jersey. My question is someone who's been in the system, but what happens in a year? Yeah. Why not train foster parents now? So in a year when these numbers get high, we have homes at the ready. We've got people who not only were able to do the regular training, but because there was no pressure at this point, could have done other trainings. Maybe they could look at kids with special needs. Like, why would you be turning people away right now? And so like, and I'm like, do I, is it just because I wasn't here? Is it just because I know what's coming next? But like, why would you turn people away right now? But that is literally what's happening. There's, oh, we've got more than enough homes right now. What about in six months? Yeah. You're, this is the time to prepare for yeah. six months from now. And so I, 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 my mind was blown. My mind was absolutely blown. That, we're seeing that everywhere, by the way. Yeah. We're, we're actually seeing that. And I, I'm like you. I'm just like, excuse me. Um, can you? Don't you think you should? I mean, we know how hard it is to get your foster care license, you yes. know, and that they're not preparing whatsoever. You know, a, a, as we end this this interview, I, I have one last question for you. Give some advice to kids and teens that are actually in our foster care system right now. Currently, right now, give them some advice. Some advice. If you are in the foster care system now, you are a current foster youth. I would say to you, start planning, you know, plan for what you want your future to be. Start asking questions about what comes next, because the, the time to do that is now. It's not when you turn 16. It's not when you turn 18. It's not when you turn 21. It's the time to do that is now, because if you don't ask questions, if you don't start speaking up for yourself and advocating for yourself, um, I, I mean, I don't want to be negative Nelly, but we don't know that other people are. So you've got to start asking these hard questions now. What happens if I don't go back home? What happens if I don't stay in this home? You start asking those hard questions so that you force people to get the answers for you. The other thing I, I say to youth is, um, you know what? You don't have a lot of control right now. You, you don't. Um, everyone gets to make decisions for you, around you, and usually they're not involving you. And I'm so sorry. I, I am so sorry that that is the case. However, um, 
there is going to come a point when you get to be the one in control of your life and you want to be prepared for it. So start um, preparing yourself for the person that you want to be. And again, I know a lot of you, a majority of you are in really terrible situations, um, but you need to think about your future and you need to think about who you want to be and start preparing for that person now. I love your advice, by the way, because I, I think there's nothing worse in the world then, you know, what? when I see, oh, well, we're, we're waiting till they're 15 or 16, and then we'll start talking to them about their future. They need to start talking about their future from the day they walk into the system. And I don't care whether that's 5, 12, 13. We need to start preparing them immediately. The other thing I feel that we need to do, and it has got to happen, we have got to build a safety net for these kids. Yes. And it, they 100%. have to a financial safety net at that. I mean, if you're able to pay um, a foster parent a stipend, and by the way, I live in a state that pays highest, the highest, if you're able to take that money without any accountability, um, why can't we take a portion of that and put it in an interest account? 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 Yeah. You know, and I I think that could be the law. Yeah, it should be. be yeah. Like yeah. automatically, it, it, just like, uh, well, what is it? Uh, your, your taxes, it shouldn't even go to it. It should go automatically to an account for that use. And, and like, they can't, like, no one can touch it, you know, until the use is like 18 or 21, ever they right. age out. Like, but right. yeah, you know, it's crazy that we're not doing this. Yeah, it, it's the most ridiculous thing ever. Then all, I mean, the, there's a state that butts up against my state. And literally, when you age out of the system at 19, they hand you a check for $500 and say, good luck. $500? I mean, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. Listen, I am in just awe. I cannot wait to see you. I'm going to be in New York in the, in the um, early, the late, early winter and and the beginning of the year. And you and I are going to go coffee and lunch. And I just want to hug you. And I I would love that. I want to say thank you for all that you do. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, please, 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 please visit my friend's website. Um, how can they How can they find you? Uh, on social at Sherelle Star, so on Instagram. Um, you can go to my website, SherelleStar.com as well. And then obviously whenever I'm on TV, please watch me. <laughs> so what, what's the next step for you? The next step, um, I'm still, you know, pitching my TV show, um, which is awesome. But I do a lot of on-camera work. So I am really looking to land a new hosting job. That's great. Well, listen, I am so lucky to call you my friend. I cannot wait for you and I to connect again real soon. And remember, everybody, you know, whether you're in foster care or whether we're just trying to get through life as of today, you always have three choices. Number one, you can give up. And we know that you don't want to do that. Number two, you can give in. And you don't want to give in. You don't want to be the statistics that we read about tomorrow or today. But the one thing I hope each and every one of you do is that is give it all you got. Take care, everyone. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, ComfortCases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. 
And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange@comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.